0: This is The Juggernaut Interviews, and I'm The Sur. In this series, I'll be talking to South Asian founders who have gone out and raised venture capital at different stages of their journey. I'm a founder who's raised venture capital myself, so I know what questions to ask and answer. I'm here not just to learn from other founders, but also to explain how they make the tough calls. I started The Juggernaut, a media company that tells South Asian stories because I was tired of reading the occasional news story about us. I wanted there to be more, and not just about the usual suspects. So what you'll hear on this show is exactly that, founders who are not the usual suspects, founders who are smack dab in the middle of building. Think how I'm building this versus how I built this. Today's episode is with Naomi Shah, founder and CEO of Meet Cute. During COVID, many people found themselves drawn to the world of audio. From Clubhouse to Twitter spaces, it felt as if we were entering a new world order. We were tired of Zooms and wanted to feel even more connected. Against this backdrop, Naomi was building Cute, a media company that makes 15-minute rom-com audio stories, which she launched in February 2020, right before the entire world shut down. I was drawn to her story, partly because Naomi has sat on the other side of the table. She was working in venture capital on the investment team at Union Square Ventures when she incubated the earliest version of Cute. We also talked about her favorite rom-coms and obviously, for those who know me, Bollywood. I'm Snigva, and here's my conversation with Naomi.
1: Tell me a little bit about meet cute and what it does meet cute is a rom-com company so we are an entertainment venture creating scripted feel-good stories that people can listen to wherever and whenever they want and the one-liner that i like a lot for us is that we're an incubator of stories because we rapidly test new characters new settings and we release these stories really quickly for our audiences for them to fall in love with the stories but then also for us to learn what types of stories work what types of stories do people like and to keep iterating on it. So the word incubator I think describes what we do pretty well. And then how did you describe it to your parents when
0: you first launched it?
1: When I first launched Meat Cute I was actually incubating Meat Cute within another venture firm. So I described it to my parents as I'm working on a company inside of the VC that I work at, and I'm thinking about spinning this company out into a new entertainment company. And it was kind of funny because my parents were like, interesting, like you haven't really talked about an interest in entertainment in the past, where it's like, I studied engineering at school and I went into finance and VC. And so how I explained it to them was, I'm excited about applying principles from product companies, the companies that we worked at, at this VC firm, to a new industry, which is media and entertainment, and seeing how those two can come together and create something new. And so that was like the connection for them that made more sense.
0: Do you have a favorite episode of Meet Cute? And if you do, what's happening in it and why?
1: Favorite episode of Meet Cute is probably one of the first ones that we released. And the the episode is called The Apartment. Wow. Look at this apartment. Floor-to-ceiling windows overlooking Prospect Park. I know, right? (laughs) I couldn't believe it either. Want to see the rest of the place? Sure. And the reason I like it so much is it was the first time that we realized that in a series you could create a relationship with one character or a set of characters where people fall in love with that character and then they go become the side character in the next one. And so in the apartment specifically, that character is the elevator man. Uh, what floor, miss? 16, please. I I didn't know buildings still had. Um... Uh, we used to be called chauffeurs or lift men, uh, but you can call me Ronnie. Hi, Ronnie. I'm Jeanette. A pleasure to meet you, miss. The person who is in this apartment building in New York, opening and closing the elevator for all of the tenants in this building. And so the first two stories go through two meet-cutes that he witnesses just operating the elevator. And then the last story in the series is his. And that for me solidified this idea that meet-cue is really about finding those moments of human connection anywhere. It could be when you're opening and closing the elevator door. It could be when you're getting your coffee in the morning. If there was a company and a community that focused on slowing down and just focusing on those moments, that could be something really valuable.
0: I love that idea of cameos in other places because it kind of reminds me of Sally Rooney and some of the stuff that she does where you kind of see some of those characters pop up in some of her other novels. So that's really cool. All right, so now I'm going to talk about some of your favorite rom-coms as quoted by you in the past. And we can dissect if there have been new ones since the past year. You've said that one of your favorite rom-coms is Bennett Like Beckham.
1: How do you feel out there? Brilliant, really, really great. I've never seen an Indian girl into football. I didn't even know they had a girl's team here. It's all her fault.
0: So I'd love to hear a little bit about first Bennett Like Beckham and then second, if there are certain threads that you find that attract you to rom-coms.
1: Yes, backing up, I grew up very tomboyish. So that was like my first parallel to Bendit Like Beckham, where main character is of Indian origin, lives in London. What family will want a
0: daughter-in-law who can run around kicking football all day, but can't make round chapatis? Now exams are over, I want you to learn full Punjabi dinner, meat and vegetarian. But
1: dad, daddy, chachi, no. Her parents expect her to act a certain way and be more, quote unquote, feminine in the way that she presents, like come to a party fully dressed and not in her soccer outfit. Huh? They want me to play in proper matches. The coach said I could go far. Go far. Go
0: far to where? Just see, we let you play all you wanted when you
1: were young, huh? And I always related to that because I had an older brother growing up and I would follow in his footsteps if he was wearing basketball shorts, I would wear basketball shorts. And watching that movie, I was like, oh, this is like the first rom-com character that I feel similar to. And that's pretty rare, I think, for especially if you think about the early 2000s rom-coms, there's a lot of straight white characters that either live in like LA or New York and work in PR jobs. And so it's nice to just see yourself represented in a story. I played soccer growing up, so I just, I have always really liked rom-coms that are about sports and then moving to your second question why i like rom-coms they're so easy to watch with anyone like i could watch it with my mom i could watch it with my brother i could also watch it with my friends so every sleepover birthday party i had growing up we would watch the exact same movies for like five or six years in a row and it never grew old because the point isn't that you know what's happening at the ending the point is all the in-between moments I think you're talking a little bit about
0: the repeatability here of rom-coms. And I think another kind of category you've talked about is Bollywood, because Bollywood has a completely separate rom-com formula, but it is there in many, many films. And many of these films are also the blockbusters that people go back and buy multiple tickets for and watch over and over again. Were there any growing up that you watched that stayed with you? And are there any kind of
1: tropes or lessons from those that you've carried on through to meet you? I think that Bollywood has nailed the rom-com. I have watched probably most of like the big breakout hits in Bollywood. I would say like starting young that was cubby Kushi cubby gum That was like the like first big Bollywood movie that my parents watched with us and my parents would fast forward the songs, which honestly, made it really hard to follow the plot of the story because so much of the plot is in the songs. And then I would say I watched a lot of the big Amir Khan movies in the last probably 10 or 15 years. Zubi-dubi, 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 kipa, girl, man. And they all have elements of like social justice elements of it where it talks about really important social issues, but then there's usually... Some rom-com element of it that underlies the entire film. I think of Me Cute as one of the most accessible genres to the entire world. Bollywood has the clear parallel telenovelas, so Spanish-speaking countries have a very clear tie-in to rom-coms. Korean dramas often have a lot of rom-com elements and There are lots of like Russian TV shows and films that have rom-com under like undertones in them. Every culture has come up with their own way to bring rom-coms to blockbuster hits because people relate to them and they're so human and and easy to connect to. And so when I think about like, you know, five-year plan of meet cute right now, we focus on English speaking demos and scaling in the United States. But I definitely could imagine like meet cute India, where we focus on bringing Bollywood actors in and have Indian writers writing those scripts based in India and producing them there. We just tried this actually in Africa. We did a Nigerian written, directed, and acted meet cue. My name is Uche and I'm a shoemaker. My shop is at...
0: Anywhere you shop like, Nikki B, You are still a stranger. If I don't get
1: your number, someone else will. <laughs> and I'm really excited to see how it performs here in the United States because I think that there is today with like Netflix and HBO and Apple TV, there is an appetite here for content from other places. People are watching dub shows all the time.
0: No, I really, really love that point. And and you kind of hinted at it earlier when you first started chatting with us, which is what drew you to this specific idea? Like there's so many things that you could possibly be doing because you got to see so many ideas come through the door in your earlier life in finance and in venture capital. So why did this call you by its name? Why was this the, the idea that you were like, okay, I need to pursue this?
1: So when I was in venture, I focused specifically on the companies that we called our well-being companies, which traditionally in VC that's your mental health companies that are direct to consumer or healthcare companies. And that's where I started out. And what I was interested in is finding parts of the well-being category that were kind of underinvested in from the VC perspective. And so when you think about it? like What do people do for fun to make themselves feel good? You read a book you like, you listen to music that you like, you listen to podcasts, you go out with your friends, you go to a concert. And so what are the ways that we can create more companies and communities in those spaces that are less prescriptive, but instead it's, what do you want to do for the next hour? Media companies felt like a really good mix of what people do for fun and educational. I figured that there's a lot of educational content out there. There's also a lot of darker fictional and non-fictional content out there. Like you think about like news headlines today. They're very anxiety inducing. There's a lot of doom scrolling. So I wanted to do something that fit a different side of that market, which was like very feel good, scripted fiction, something that didn't really exist in volume in the market at this point. And so looking at the entertainment industry, it's a really hard industry to break into like, you need a you need a strong network of people. So I wanted to create a creator based company that kind of lowered that barrier to entry and increased the diversity of the types of stories that we were telling in the scripted fictional space. And then we grew more and more specific. So we were like, let's be short form, because there's a lot of long form content out there. Let's start with audio stories. And the reason for that is audio is going through this massive boom. and you can listen to it anywhere. And I actually think that audio increases the intimacy between the listener and the stories because it forces you to visualize the story in your head. And like, what does that character look like? What is the smell of the kitchen that I'm standing in when I'm with that character? And you're not visually spoon fed a lot of that. And then rom-coms, massive, massive market, but people kind of sideline rom-coms. Like they, they think of it as like a niche category, even though every rom-com from the early 2000s ones to Bridgerton is very mass appeal when you look at the numbers behind it. So it was like, let's just go after this genre that we love, that I love, and that I think has some of the biggest potential for redefining what it looks like with a more diverse and inclusive creator base.
0: How does a meet cute come into the world? You kind of hinted it along the way. There's some acting, there's some directing, there's some script writing, there's some acts. It's 15 minutes.
1: A big part of building our company was building out the creative process by which we go out and find stories or curate stories from submissions. So writers submit stories to us. Sometimes we'll also have an idea, you know, we want to do a time travel story. Or there's this social issue in the world, we want to do a rom-com that that incorporates that into the narrative arc. So for Earth Day last year, we did a rom-com based at a climate march. So writers come from all walks of life. We just worked with Sarah Shepard, who wrote Pretty Little Liars. And one of the best parts about working with her was the first phone call I did with her. She's like, I have hundreds of rom-com ideas and I don't know what to do with all these ideas. And I was like, great, Meet Cute is an incubator. So just start testing things here. Maybe the first one doesn't work, but the second one will. And she's an incredible writer and so fun to work with that the series that she did with us was really fun. It's called A Cruise Ship. Maura! Oh, there you are. What's the ETA on the guests? The staff pre-sale meet and greets my favorite. Housekeeping's on
0: the way. I heard Jacques dining staff is pre-gaming in the galley. Oh, that Jacques.
1: Such a rogue. It's like nine intersecting love stories, kind of like Love Boat meets Love Actually on a cruise ship. But that's an, that's a really good example of someone coming to us with ideas that they have, and we work with them to fit that story into the way that Meet Cute produces. So we always do a 15-minute story. It's always broken up into five three-minute chapters. So after the writing period, we go through like a bunch of revisions on the script to make sure that it fits our format really well and that it really is punchy. We go into casting and production, so pre- and post-production. That is probably the longest part of our process, especially the post-production part, because we've been operating in a distributed world. So we're not sitting in a studio. It does take a long time and it takes very talented people to find the right talent for these roles. We try to cast people that represent the characters in the story. So if there are Asian-American characters or LGBTQ characters, we'll go out and like do casting calls in communities that we know are represented, even though it's audio and you can't see them. We think that that's an important part of show, don't tell for our brand.
0: Well, this leads me to my very next question, which is what is your one metric of success, right? This is something that VCs always ask founders. Like, yes, we might be monitor- monitoring 25 different things, but there's always one North star. What is that one North star for me Q?
1: For us, it's audience and community. So, I would say those two go hand in hand cuz I think of Meat Cute's audience as everyone that listens to our stories, follows us on Instagram, watches TikToks of Meat Cute, wants to sign up for our email newsletter, is like waiting for Meat Cute to make a movie out of one of these series. So, general momentum and buzz around scripted rom-coms in the world. So, if you walk into a coffee shop and someone's talking about the Meat Cute that dropped that morning, like that to me is Community and engagement, and that's kind of what I define as success on the audience side.
0: What was the hardest part about getting Meek cute off the ground? How did you pull that off?
1: Early on in Meek cute, people were like, "Oh, you can't tell a rom com in fifteen minutes. It's just not possible." And I was like, "People watch fifteen second TikToks, and those are stories in and of themselves." Like, there was a lot of pushback especially from like traditional entertainment because there are so many legacy opinions on like how things are done as we were just like floating ideas in the world part of it was listening to really smart people who have done this for a long time and part of it was having like healthy skepticism about those opinions and saying no we actually have conviction in short form fictional scripted audio and we want to be the person that creates it in the world That was something that we had a lot of conversations about, like, which things can we not compromise on in this brand, no matter what anyone else says and no matter how many no's or we don't think this is going to work type conversations we have. When I think about one of the most challenging parts of Meet Cute, it was we launched Valentine's Day of 2020. So February 2020, we were bringing people into studios in New York to record all of our shows. So we were just building the operations of our entire creative process. And then March 12th was the day that everyone left New York. I felt like a lot of people were just like locked down in their apartments and couldn't record and couldn't be a part of meet Cutes creative process anymore. And so there was like a moment of panic there. And then probably like a few weeks of contingency planning. How do we save a brand new brand that just is getting a creative process off the ground? And that was like a moment of innovation for us because we realized that we could build a lot of these processes in a distributed way. We could work with a voice actor in Georgia and we could work with a producer in LA. And that was probably one of the hardest moments in our company building. Throughout the pandemic, there are countless challenges that I can name, just like growing a team and fundraising and all of that. But I would say that two-week period in March of not knowing how we were going to shift the operations and having to like work through that was probably the one of the hardest parts.
0: Working through anything th- during the pandemic seems like it was a miracle that so much of that still happened, and I still count it to be lucky that media was a little bit sheltered. Okay, it's probably still early, but what do you envision? Are some of the business models that Meet Cute could engage in, or are, is already you know engaging in, in terms of how it is eventually monetizing, or? maybe charging advertisers down the lo- road? I feel like that's a question that media entrepreneurs get asked all the time.
1: After we kind of focus for probably the next six months to a year on just scaling our audience, I think that there are a few different things that we're thinking about in terms of monetization. The first is definitely advertising. Right now, we don't advertise in our content. So all of our stories, you just we want people to listen to and not hit any friction between them and the narrative. The other thing that we just launched on Apple podcasts is our subscription. So we're testing out subscription. And then finally, a big part of me cute is the content itself and working on adaptations and other formats from this content. And those can be revenue generating. They definitely take longer. They take A lot of time, they take other teams working with us on the development and production side, but we're really excited about starting to explore adaptations for Meet Cute.
0: Every single person we've interviewed on the Juggernaut interviews has a different aspect to their founding story. We've had folks who were second-time founders and their first company failed, but they went for it again. We've had folks who were actually very risk-averse founders. And I think what's really interesting about your background is that you were actually sitting on the other side of the table. You were an investor and you came from finance and venture. So I'd love to know what about that background made Meet Cute easier and what about it made it harder?
1: It's a really good question. I think what made it easier is that I had sat with early stage founders in some of the really challenging parts of them building a company. I'd sat with them right before they were fundraising, right when they'd gotten no's from a bunch of partners in those moments of uncertainty. And so I kind of was prepared for what do those moments feel like? And and obviously hadn't experienced it firsthand, but had been in the room with those founders in the board meetings. So I think that made Meet Cute easier per se in that I wasn't completely unprepared for some of those conversations and decision points. What made it harder is that no one can prepare you for the individual challenges of building a new company. And like, I think it just takes a certain amount of fearlessness to cold email people and to say, I know nothing about what you do, but I just want to learn. And I think growing up and in school, we're taught never to turn something in unless you feel like it's perfectly done. And so you're, you're kind of taught this, like everything has to be like final product. And then in the real world, it's almost like that works against you. And and what works better is putting half-baked ideas out into the world, being a little bit imperfect and letting people teach you and like surrounding yourself with smarter people. And so I think that one of the things that being a first-time founder, I found very challenging was that learning curve of, I don't know all the answers to this and I need to be the dumbest person in the room to go learn from other people and figure this out and I think like that happens every day when I you know sit down with our lawyers and learn about things that I've never I never went to law school so I feel like I like I'm getting a crash course in law and then I sit down and work with people in the entertainment industry and feel like I'm getting a crash course in that and I think being willing to do that and not feeling like you're the expert and that you know everything is something that is very humbling and, and takes time to I think develop those skills And I think every CEO and founder probably feels that like one hour of your day, you're doing big picture thinking. The next hour, you're going deep on like taxes or something like that, you know?
0: I totally relate to like going, doing deep work. Like I still am doing customer service and I'm like, yep, there's just two hours I just have to do customer service every week and that's fine. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So fundraising must have been easy because you were, you know, you worked at the same company that ended up investing in you. Tell us more about
1: that process great question. So, I will not say that fundraising was easy. I think when we first raised for MeetQ or seed round, it was very much an incubation at USB and we had participation from another firm. So that felt very different than how most other companies fundraised in that I was pitching basically the team that I had just worked with. And I think that it doesn't really matter if you have a VC background, if you have an operating background. It doesn't it doesn't really matter if this is like your first thing out of college or you're in college, I think all that matters is that you're an incredible storyteller and that you can create an emotional story that people will re- relate to and they lean forward when when you're talking to them because they're like, I need to know more. I need to ask that question. And I think the biggest lesson I learned from my last fundraise is that you really don't want people who are just going to sit back and passively listen to you talk you want people who are going to engage in conversation because that is a really good indicator of who is going to actually roll up their sleeves and help you as an early stage investor especially being a solo founder i found that leaning on investors and advisors to roll up their sleeves and and work with you on different things is so important
0: yeah and i and i think that you know that's like an important thing i want to underline which is I don't think anyone is saying you have to go be a VC or have to go in operations before you start a company. So going back to MeetQ and where it stands among competition, right? Because audio has exploded. We've seen the rise of podcasts from The Daily, et cetera. And then we've also seen the rise of actually other rom-com-like audio or, you know, one of the products that I was investigating as I was preparing for this was also Dipsy, which focuses on like the darker side of I guess, rom-coms in terms of quote-unquote audio porn, as they call it, or sexy audio. How do you think about setting Meet Cute up in this kind of space of audio, which is becoming increasingly competitive, even though, as you said, it is still the early days of
1: audio? I think that what VC really prepared me for is being able to, like, zoom out and do that, like, bird's-eye view look at a space and understand where we fit in this space. It's It's early, so it's very collaborative. So I actually don't see us as being competitive with a lot of other audio companies, I think that we want more people to be listening to content in audio, especially on the fictional side, which I think is not as saturated. I think that we're also out there trying to pull audiences that spend time on TikTok and Snapchat and Netflix and go to movie theaters. And so the the differentiator for Meet Cute is one, this place is always going to make you feel good. So there's like an emotional tie to meet cute. And the second thing is that we really want to focus on building that community. I think today, sometimes community gets confounded with virality. Like one viral TikTok is not a community. What a community is, it's like people that care about each other and people that want to have conversations with each other and engage with each other. And that, I think, just takes a long time to build and you have to be patient and I, I did actually yesterday go on a walk with the Dipsy co-founders. We were like talking about a lot of these same things. It's like very different type of audio. It serves a very different market. I don't see those two as competitive at all. But I really do think that people should have a go-to place for various things. If they want to go listen to the news, great. Like the New York Times or NPR or any of those podcasts is there. If you want to escape 15 minutes and feel good you need to go to meet cute. If you want to If you want to read and listen to South Asian content, obviously go to the juggernaut, you know? So I think that like we're all kind of building various parts of the new unbundled entertainment platform, which I think will be cool.
0: I love to see the targeting of media happening. We have two more questions for you, Naomi. You've spoken a lot and you also spoke earlier today about the importance of diversity in storytelling. You talked about how you're casting people even though we can't visually see them. And I'd love to hear how is that landing with the audience? Because, you know, the question here is, how do you hear diversity? And I'd love to hear your
1: take on that. Casting is one side of the piece. I think the other big side of the piece is writing and production too. So When you think of a story, there are so many subconscious elements of that story that I think you don't even realize that you can hear the diversity in it, but it's just part of it. The way that a writer might create the setting of the story, the character might use certain slang or might use certain intonations that create, you know, a very relatable character for people that come from that community. When we cast drag queens as the leads for our story indie drag race, when they go out and talk about the story, they're sharing it with their community and saying, hey, look, there's a rom-com with us as the protagonists. And we think that that is a really special part of engaging with with communities in a real way, where it's not like, oh, we're tokenizing you. Like, they're, they're main characters and showing everyone that they can take center stage in entertainment is really part of our mission. So starting with the writers that are actually putting pen to paper and coming up with these characters and settings and universes that might not have existed before. You know, a Native American writer could write a, a rom-com that takes place in outer space, but we still think that there are elements of diversity that will inf- get infused into that story. That makes sense. Start it from
0: the, ri- start from the writers' room. That's what we've been telling Hollywood for a long, long time. You just raised a Series A, a $6.25 million Series A. So what's next for MeQ?
1: So what's next is audience and community, bringing it back to how are we going to bring more audience members and listeners and consumers of our content to meet cute on in, in all of our platforms, whether it's Apple and Spotify, whether it's TikTok and Instagram, So we're focused on growth and scaling and also uh, working on cool partnerships with people, both in the entertainment industry and with like top tier talent and celebrities to just try and bring a little bit more of a spotlight to the type of stories that we're creating in our entire creator network.
0: Super cool. And anything else that you want to add before we let you go I want to ask you what your favorite rom-coms are. Oh my goodness. Oh, okay. So I have a hot take, which I probably should write about one day, but I really, really hate K3G. Like, I think that film ruined (laughs) rom-coms for so many people. (laughs) And I think that one that I keep going back to, I would say in Bollywood, and I know it's problematic today, is probably Kuchu That's the one I probably go back to because it has a lot of warm feelings for when I was younger. So that's the TLDR. Naomi Shah is the founder and CEO of MeQ. That's it for the show this week. Next week, I'll be talking to Sean Hatharamani, founder and CEO of FlockJ, a company that helps people access jobs in tech sales. If you like this show, please subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this. And share it with someone who you think would love to hear Naomi's story. Natalia Alcantara produced the series. Golda Arthur is our showrunner, and Josh Deng is our sound engineer. Sahal Ansari composed our theme music, and Mina Shoab created our art.